Ante Up is your poker magazine dedicated to the everyday player and their poker rooms. Pick up a free copy at your favorite poker room nationwide each month. But Ante Up is much more than a magazine. Visit AnteUpMagazine.com daily for breaking news and each week download our award-winning poker cast. Join us on our action-packed poker cruises to exotic destinations. Ante Up, it's your poker magazine. From the Anti-Up headquarters in Tampa Bay, Florida, it's the Anti-Up PokerCast. And now, here are two guys who think they know how to play poker, Chris Casenza and Scott Long. It's July 27th, 2018. You're listening to the best PokerCast on the planet. I'm Chris Casenza. And I'm very sleepy Scott Long. Now, you know, you gave me crap for me asking for you to do the show at our normal time. And I'm it's like... Yeah, he's on the West Coast, but I, you know, I see these photos of Scott posting on Facebook that he's in a sauna at like six thirty, quarter to seven. I'm like, well, I can't get up for the show for the Any Up Nation that early. I think he can. Completely different. You don't need a lot of brain power to sit in the Euclid <laughs> steam room. I'm just trying to get you, you know, prepared for East Coast time again when you come back. No, oh, okay, yeah, I'm not sure when I'm coming back. Seems like I'm never coming back. Seems like I've been out here forever. <laughs> Which was fine because I enjoy being at Thunder Valley. I did my first uh, Top Golf experience last night. Have you done Top Golf yet? I have not done it, but I saw you doing it terribly. Um, but uh, yes, I- yeah. Well, I, I used to golf every day in my twenties. I had like a membership, but I have not swung a golf club in probably ten years. <laughs> so it looks interesting, but uh, I've never done yeah. it. Uh, so no, I actually had a swing that came back. I was actually. I did not uh, embarrass myself. Uh, Matt Savage and I won the first round for twenty bucks, and then we lost the second round for twenty bucks. So yeah, broke even. Yeah. But yeah. <clears throat> uh, but no, it's uh, it, it's it's a what I like to call it's a U.S. mint. They just you walk in Top Golf and they're just printing money for themselves. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> but it, it's a cool experience. So if you get a chance to do it, sometime. and they're not sponsoring the show, we're just uh, being honest. Yeah. All right. Right. <laughs> All right, anyhow, so I am still out here at the wonderful Antioch World Championship, which is headed into its final weekend at Thunder Valley Casino Resort near Sacramento, California. And here are some updates. Wow, these entries. The monolith uh, attract 873 entries. Nice. Um, and then uh, we have a lot to talk about about my play or lack of play here. Uh, I was the first out in the Limit o- Omaha 8 event. First out? Ouch. Yeah, I know. Well, one of the first out, I guess I should say. Um I was the uh, technical bubble. Yes, that's a new term I'm claiming. Uh, <laughs> and a satellite for the $460 monolith, uh, getting cash but not a seat, and had to fire two bullets but finished fourth in the PLO 8 event, outlasting two-time WSOP bracelet winner Howard Tahoe Andrew, who finished fifth after I doubled him up when I was the chip leader with 27 left. Obvious brag. And then I had a great run in the Action 8 that ended in a heartbreaking manner. Uh, the remaining events are all awesome, depending on when Chris posts the show. If you hear it right away, you might be able to get into the head-to-head championship with me today. Um, and then the 1650 buy-in main event starts tomorrow. And then on Sunday night will be $1,100 bounty event with $500 bounties. I mean, gosh, everybody puts a bounty, and that's going to be more than any tournament I've ever bought in myself. So. <laughs> that's nice. And just a reminder that live updates are being posted by Hold'em Radio's Dan Ross, who is also our new Northern California ambassador at thundervalleyresort.com slash casino slash poker slash blog. 
and on the uh, at TV Poker Room Twitter feed, and more information on the series at antiupmagazine.com slash world championship. So if going out by making money but not getting a seat is a technical bubble, what is it when you go out first in a tournament? <laughs> That's good. Maybe I need to claim that, uh, um, coin that term too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. yeah, that's that's incredibly disappointing. That's my game, man. The, uh, the maiden so bubble, yeah. the maiden bubble, maybe. I don't know. The first one they haven't got, hadn't even got to the point where they started updating the entries. Oh, jeez, <laughs> how's that even yeah, possible? Just, limit. Yeah, I just well, I mean, uh, here's the thing. I always hate this about limit eight of, uh, and eight events is that um, the the structure. It's impossible to write uh, to design a really good structure i think for limino uh, omaha 8 because you start out really slow and it's funny because people always talk about how those first three level pots mean nothing because you're winning 100 200 here or there and then the, they get to the point where if you lose a hand you lose half your stack there's just no way to enter a pot yeah. that doesn't involve your stack at that point and yeah. that's what happened i lost uh, two two hands at that level and boom at an early night went to finish the handmaid's tale holy cow <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I don't, I don't know what actually, I don't know if we've talked about this. Maybe the technical bubble is not the right term, but, um, so I entered the satellite the next day for the monolith and I forget how many people went 40 or something or whatever. They gave away, um, uh, eight seats and ninth place got $276 okay. and I was short stacked with a couple left before the, what I call the technical bubble. Outlast of the guy who uh, got upset that I doubled up, and he's like, oh, man, that means I'm going to go out next. And he went out next, and then I went out after that. So I got the $276, and um, as I left, everybody at the table was very excited, obviously, because they were going to jump in the monolith right now, which had started about uh, two hours before that. Right. And uh, I told him, hey, don't cry for me. <laughs> I actually think I made more money on this than I would have had I got to see the monolith. <laughs> That makes sense, right? Well, how much was the buy-in? Uh, it was a hundred, I think a hundred. Yeah, so that's that's yeah. pretty decent. It's like being the yeah. bubble save. Yeah, it's been Ben Irwin said I made uh, I got my buy-in for Omaha because that's what I did. I cashed out and, and sat right out at the Omaha table <laughs> with my that's I'm like, here here's my money. <laughs> I don't know. So so what is maybe the technical bubble would be the guy that went out before me, right? Yeah, because you got something. And I mean, actually, the actual bubble. The the actual bubble is the technically you're saying this is the bubble so actual and technical I think are the same uh, because in this case you you made money so maybe it's technical because you didn't actually play for what you were hoping to get you know you you didn't win what you were hoping to play for I guess was the seed so maybe you're right maybe there's a distinction between actual and technical um, mm. or you're uh, how about how about categorical double a bubble. Because oh, I like categorical. The, that's a lot. Of, look at that. I nailed that too. That's that's yeah. like four syllables. Categorical bubble because you're the category is this is a seat satellite and you technically, you know, weren't the bubble because you made money, but categorically you were the bubble because you didn't actually win what you were playing for. So there you go. All right, hey, I'm going to change. Categorical <laughs> bubble. It's a new term. So. <laughs> He's t- yeah. You're changing it on the file yeah. as we speak. Oh, yeah, there we go. All right. like, yeah, perfect. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, I had a uh, terrific run in the PLO8 event after um, after my first bullet, which is not a terrific run. But uh, it's a good thing about PLO is that uh, you know you hit a couple hands and bam, um, 
you're off to the races and yeah. don't hit a couple hands, bam, you're off to the window to buy in again. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, I got knocked out fairly early, and then I'm like, hey, I might as well get back in. Got in, and then just had a good run. Got down to um, oh, maybe. 30, 36 left, and uh, went on a pretty nice run, and that's when I ended up, I was a chip leader at 27 left, and then I was third in chips at the final table, but only by like a thousand off, and then nothing happened to me at the final table. I just uh. could not get um, And then, of course, after I got knocked out, I, I was sitting there, I'm like, I'm actually surprised, because most of these Thunder Valley events end in chops, um, and usually the chop discussions start around the final table. Now, in that tournament, we did um, agree when we got down to 12, because uh, I paid 11. Uh, we got down to 12. We <clears throat> voted to take uh, 200 off first and 100 off second for a 12th place prize of 300, mm-hmm. which is a, essentially a min cash. <clears throat> but we never had discussed the chop after that. And I'm not a big fan of chopping, but I was looking up at those uh, the chop values <laughs> throughout as people kept getting knocked out of the, of the final table. And I'm like, I could live with that. Um, but I never brought it up, and no one else did. And then uh, the next morning, I wake up to see who won, and I'm like, that guy won? And I'm like, oh, the, the three of them chopped after I got knocked out. <laughs> I, you know, I didn't even have to hear you describe that, and I knew that was what was going to happen, because that's why they didn't talk about chop, because you were still in the field. <laughs> Seriously, I mean, the Scott Long's in the field. Why would we want to chop? And then as soon as you go out, yep, now we can chop. Yep, that's probably it. That's, that's got to be it. it. Well, there was a point, uh, you know, I was going to make a joke at one point when I was kind of short-stacked, but then there was a point before I got knocked out when the four of us were all fairly even in chips, not completely even. That would have been time to bring it up, probably. But, uh, but again, I, I don't like to chop, so it's just, I like to complain about uh, chop when they happen <laughs> without me. But. Well, we're just grateful that you actually did well this week, because last week was depressing. <clears throat> That's true. We had something That's to talk true. about this week, so we're very happy that you Well, uh, I want to hear depressing. I've got a dollar in the mail to you, so don't even bring up the bad beat story. <laughs> you know, it's, it's coming, all right? All right. And, um, so I've never had much luck in these uh, multi-flight events. Um, I've actually never bagged in any event before. And so I got in this Action 8 like uh, two hours late because we had a meeting with our new web guy and uh, wanted to give him all the time we had. And then I'm like, ah, I wasn't going to play. And then I'm like, I got done. I walked over there, and I'm like... 20,000 in chips, and we're at the 150, 300 level. All right. Take all my money. And um, <clears throat> and it was one of the tournaments that I played the best I think I've ever played. And that's why it's so tragic when it ends so close to the end, right? Yeah. So I actually had a spot fairly early where I called off all my chips on the turn with Ace-King on a junk board. I just couldn't put the guy on anything else and I'm like alright whatever um, I shouldn't have been in this tournament anyhow I'm going to put it out there and he turns over ace 10 for nothing and then I hold on and double up there and like the guy they was like wow it's a great read I'm like no <laughs> I just didn't think he had anything whatever and then from there I just kept building up my chip stack we got down to 32 left and uh, 21 moved on to day 2 or 21 cashed I'm sorry and 17 moved on to day two because they did a you know a couple payouts because uh, they wanted a smaller field for the day two right right and I was at 115,000 units at that point which was above average I was feeling pretty good get moved to a new table first hand looked down at pocket tens I call a raise 
flop comes 10, 9, 7. And I bet, the guy raises, I go all in, he calls, and I'm like, this is great, I'm going to double up, and he turns over a flush draw, and the uh, turn, it completes his flush, River does not complete my full house, and boom, 230,000 pot, oh. pushed away the table, and had I won that, I mean, I could have just locked down and, and at least cashed, if not moved on to day two, and... Um, but instead, I was like in the bar, smoking a cigar, and drinking wine, going, "What happened?" Um, so you know, those things happen. And then the guy, I love this when whenever this happens, I think I was like, "Oh man, I'm sorry, that, that that's terrible." And I'm like, "No, don't worry, about it. don't apologize. This is poker." And then he's like, "No, no, I'm really sorry. That was, that was really bad." <laughs> he's like, "I didn't think you were that strong." I'm like, "No, it's all right." And then I get back to the bar, and I'm like, "Oh." <laughs> uh, I mean, so, uh, it's that whole get it in with the flush draw mentality too. I didn't realize that was still. Especially that deep in the tournament like that, I didn't think they would be doing that. that. Yeah, that, that that kind of chip stack too. I mean, you know, it's one of those things where you didn't even think about it. I mean, I I had top set, I wasn't going anywhere, even with the fact that he might have a straight that didn't make sense. But then we had to count it down, and we were so close. That I think he had me by like a thousand at that point. Um, so he knocked me out. I mean, not that it would have mattered otherwise. Otherwise, here would have been the worst part is that he, if he didn't knock me out, I would have had like a thousand units at. <laughs> 2,500, 5,000 level, and we were on a break at that point. So I would have had to come back in 10 minutes to shove my last uh, chip in. But, um, but yeah, I was actually a little surprised that he, he would call off all of his chips um, on a flush draw. But maybe he didn't realize how much he had or how much I had either at that point. So, you know, when you move to a table, you don't get a chance to, you know, it wasn't Greg Raymer where he sits down. He's like, all right, first thing I do is check everybody's chip stack. And, um, you know, literally I sat down, there was cards in front of me. So, yeah. Um, so that not only did I not get a chance to look at everybody's chips tag, no one else got a, uh, really a, a good look at mine. So, but hey, that's poker, right? Oh, brutal though. That's the worst kind when it's it's one thing when you think you're you're just 100 percent ahead and you are, but this guy's gonna go in with a draw like that. That's that's so heartbreaking. Three tens and you get nothing for it to protect the door. Uh, yeah, it's easier to kick yourself in the rear when you make a bad play. I'm like, there's a couple bad plays I made in all these tournaments, but I don't think I made a bad play in this one. I think I was playing really, really spot on. And then, and, and even that, I think I would make that move again a hundred times, right? So, yeah. um, lucky and then knock me out at 32. And <clears throat> so then, uh, but so, uh, and then it cost me another 110 because then I got in the head to head championship satellite yesterday. And got uh, sucked out onto the river, got knocked out of that. But I wouldn't have played that had I made the day two of the action eight. So. That's right. Oh man, this just gets more, so worse and worse. At least a five six hundred dollar uh, pot right there. <laughs> and then some more, and asks you to get up at seven a.m. to do the show. Exactly. Your day just right. gets worse and worse. <laughs> no respect. No respect. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Justin Bonomo, who last week won the big one for the one drop for $10 million, announced this week that he and runner-up Fedor Holes actually agreed on a deal when they were heads up, chopping half the price pool and playing out for the rest. While Bonomo had discussed the possibility of a deal prior to the final table with crowdfunding staking site Ustake, stakers are not made aware of it, and some are claiming that their share uh, should come from the announced prize of $10 million, since the World Series of Poker does not facilitate chops. Related, some wonder whether holes backers are entitled to more because he earned more than was announced. Holy cow. <laughs> uh, I, you know what? I don't. I remember um, well, the last time I was at the World Series, one of our friends was there and had a backer. and I remember him on the phone with the backer and discussing like the deal. 
and like what right. what 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 he should do or what will the, will the dealer what will the backer accept for the deal and um so yeah i mean i don't i don't have backers you know when i play and i don't have backers when i bowl um so i don't really have these kind of conversations anymore but i would think that yeah you need to run everything by the person who's put you in this tournament before or at least let be transparent let them know everything you've done it sounds like bonimo did uh i don't i don't know for certain what well I mean, he did with the with uh, the, the owner the own, yeah some Mistake, but obviously, and it's impractical to even expect this, right? Uh, but obviously, did not have that conversation with however many dozens, hundreds, thousands. I don't know how many people actually actually staked them. Right. Uh, did not have those conversations with those people. So, um, yeah, and that's like in that situation, that's a a vehicle of which provided him with the money. That's he can do what he can, but he can't actually talk to every single person. So you have to also trust as a staker that the player is gonna not only make the best deal that he can but also be upfront with how much he won or or whatever so i'm I'm assuming he did that too um i don't know about this fedor holes guy i don't know what happened there but i, I think that people looking to make more money on technicalities is kind of like the whole win a pot on technicality argument for me i there's no way these guys are going to now dig into their savings and give you more money because the announced amount isn't what you know you think all oh, that's what you're getting but he's saying to you this is what i want and you know justin bonomo is his witness and whatever so i i don't see how you could possibly ask this guy to give you more money than he won well i think uh the big problem here is is that no one really knows the terms of the deal right right there wasn't any kind of official announcement during the event you know hey we've chopped now because world series doesn't facilitate chops right so yeah, yeah. um so I don't even know how they handle this now. I mean, he ended up saying, uh, Bonomo ended up saying his his take ended up being um, a little bit more than $8.7 million rather than $10 million. Um, so I don't know how U-Stake is paying out based on that. I assume that's what they're paying out on, but there's no official announcement of that. That's just what he said he and uh, Holes agreed to, right? So right. that that's kind of the problem, I think, here is that, um, I, and I don't know what U-Stake's verbiage is on that, that players are allowed to make deals and and then you get paid off on the deal or I, whatever it is, but um, if that's the case, I think it would have to be in a tournament where your chops are allowed and then they can actually post the official prize pool and then and you know. So that's, that's what's really interesting to me, I think. Um, you know, I'm with you. I, I've never, uh, never had anybody back me. I don't want to back anyone. Um, I don't bash anybody that gets backed and I don't bash anybody that likes to to stake someone I mean I, I get it I understand that it's nice for people like you and me to be able to have a little sweat in a million dollar tournament by um, staking somebody for a hundred bucks that's great uh, but these are kind of the problems with it right so yeah. uh, you know if you just don't know what's going on and then and then again like I said I mean it's impractical for a player at that point to you know what are you gonna send an email to all 300 people that staked you <laughs> at the moment you're chopping yeah, I need <laughs> and wait for responses <laughs> so i mean uh, but maybe maybe it just needs to be up front that uh, you know when you when you're asking to be staked uh, here is my philosophy on chopping and, you know this is what i'm going to do and then i will immediately uh let everybody know or i will only chop in events that actually allow the chop so everything is i well i don't know something, yeah. something but, seems to need to be fixed here i don't know exactly up front. yeah exactly 
All right, last week we mentioned that Florida pro Tony Cousineau at one time had the longest string of World Series poker caches without a bracelet. Well, after this summer, there's a new leader in that category, Roland Israel Ashivi. <laughs> got pretty good on that. Pretty close. I got all the syllables. I think it's Ashvili at the end there. Ashvili. Okay. So Israel Ashvili. There's an A there. Ashvili, maybe. Ashvili. Anyhow, this dude from New York cashed 14 times this year <laughs> with no bracelet and now has 90 caches without uh, bling since his first event in 2005. Cousineau is number two with 87. By comparison, Phil Ivey has 10 bracelets and just 59 caches. Oh, man. That's a one in six. That's crazy. Yeah, it's almost the bigger, the most impressive stat there of all the stats, isn't it? Wow. That's unbelievable. Um yeah, by the way, uh, 2005 called and it wants its uh, bling back. Stop saying the word bling. We don't say that anymore. That's that's really, that's like, you know, calling me up and saying, what's up? You don't do that anymore either, so. Where's the beef? <laughs> Where's the beef? Uh, that's interesting. I really didn't think anybody was going to pass Tony. I figured he would just keep chugging along, and if he hadn't gotten a bracelet, he'd still have the lead, but that's some, something to have somebody come up from behind and catch you and pass you uh, for yeah. that. That fourteen times in the series, manius, uh, you know, title, but yeah, that's crazy. I mean, they're like what seventy six or something like that events. Yeah, cashing fourteen of them. That's actually pretty impressive on its own. I think so. You know what though? I used to be impressed by that, and then they started adding events. You know, in the old days, it was like, wow, this guy cashed ten times in one World Series, and it was fifty events. Well, now <clears> they've got. 28 more to, to enter again for four more to make it impressive. You know what I mean? It's like, it's impressive, yeah. obviously. You know what I'm saying? But no, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. But yeah. I mean, even, in my mind, even 14 out of 78 or whatever seems yeah, impressive. It is. So it I is impressive. In terms of the actual, um, I mean, it's almost impressive to enter 14 events. You know, yeah. <laughs> some of these events are multi day events and you're talking about a grind, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I would stand up and applaud anybody that entered 14 times, which probably were hundreds of people, right? But still, um, and be able to play 14 of these. But then to cash 14 times, I don't know how many he entered that. Actually, that's the question I want to know. Yeah, now. exactly. You know, was it 20? Was it 30? Was it 40? I mean, that might make this number more impressive or less impressive, but but whatever that number is would be more impressive than this one just because of the number of times that you um, entered a tournament and be able to I mean, that's a lot of poker in two months. Yeah, I mean, think about this. If he entered every single event, he would have cashed roughly 20% of the time, which is way above average. And there's no way he entered all 78. So he, he probably cashed, like, better than 50% because there's no way he entered more than 28 events probably. So, I mean, he probably cashed more than 50%. That's just crazy. Wow. Hats off. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. No more than half at least. So, yeah. And even that. So, so. Wow. Oh, well, it's just remarkable. Congratulations, Roland. Yeah, and the Ivy thing. That Ivy thing is just unbelievable. Basically, one better than one in six cash every time you make, one in six uh, caches or a bracelet. It's just crazy. Oh. Okay, it's time for Annie updates. We have three more upcoming Annie Up Poker Tour stops with four opportunities to play your way onto the cover of Annie Up Magazine. Uh, here's uh, where we're going next. Annie Up Poker Tour at Atlantis Casino Resort Spot in ne- Reno, Nevada, August 16th to 26th. Deep Stack Series at the Venetian Las Vegas, September 3rd to the 23rd. And Pearl River Poker Open at their Pearl River Resort in Choctaw, Mississippi, October 25th to November 4th. Also, uh, join the Annie Up Fans Group Facebook page and post within the group to get feedback on hands, 
Ask call the floor questions and just discuss anything poker. Go to Facebook and search for Anti Up Fans. Each week we spotlight a listener who emails us at podcast at antiupmagazine.com. And if they haven't won something from us in the past year, just like we do with Call the Floor and Hand of the Week, we send them something cool. It comes from longtime listener Andy Castro. It says, I was playing our regular 25 cent, 50 cent home game with the same group of friends that I have been playing with for several years. I was under the gun with pocket aces and eventually get it all in pre-flop with an opponent who had $105 in pocket jacks. Before the flop was put out, he said, I got a feeling I'm going to suck out on you, so I will make you a deal. I will let you take the $60 I put out in the middle before going all in, and we don't run the board. So I was guaranteed a $60 profit without risking losing 105 and he would keep $55 to continue to play. I thought about it for a minute and decided to not take the deal. What would you guys have done? Well, Andy, I think your friend has a future career as a used car salesman. <laughs> or he could already be one, we don't know. <laughs> uh, no, I, I just uh, there, there's no way I would ever consider this deal unless I, I was not eating for that night, right? <laughs> that was that'd be the only way that I, I would probably consider this deal. Yeah, I mean you're like eighty twenty favorite at this point, and uh, and you're locking up less than eighty twenty uh, profit on that. Um, to me, this is like taking the insurance and blackjack. Yeah. You know, when you get a blackjack. You know, I'm like, everybody gets excited. Oh, I get even money? All right, great. Well, no, that's terrible because you, the odds are that you're going to get another half a bet out of it. So, um, and that's almost exactly what happened here. The odds are you're going to get another 25 or 45 bucks out of this guy. So, um, nice try, uh, friend, but uh, I'm not in the market for a used car. Yeah, no. I mean, there are times where um, if you have the same hand, you sort of say, just take the money back. Let's not run the board and deal each other a bad beat but if you're a you know 80 percent favorite <laughs> with and then the guy's like i got a feeling i'm gonna suck on you so let me make you the offer that's hilarious it's like yeah you're gonna save me from losing my money you're the one that's then you know eight to one dog or whatever the hell it is so um yeah no i i would not have made that deal i don't think uh sometimes when i'm the host um uh, you know i i kind of like to do things where you know, I'll make everybody stay and be happy and things like that. And I might just chop with somebody when it looks like we're, you know, going different sides of the board or something like that or whatever. But, you know, or there was one time we were playing Omaha here and uh, we both had ace, ace, something, something. You know, we both had double suited aces or something. And I was like, you know what, let's just not run the board. And they're like, okay, that will take our money back and we can keep playing. Not one of us gets hurt because it was really early in the tournament. It was in the uh, session, I mean, and it was like PLO. So there's. We're gonna get all our money in. So uh, they ran the board anyway, and I would have won. And I was like, "That's okay. That's all right. You know, it's, we would have chopped." So, but in this case, that much of a favorite? No way. Don't do it. You made the right call. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if it was if a little bit closer, then maybe for those reasons, I might consider it. But this this is a, an almost lock, and I should say an almost lock because I've seen so many uh, pair over pair hands lose the strip that maybe I should take that deal. <laughs> Uh, but in the long term, the math just does not make sense. Yeah, else, no, so. it just doesn't. Find yourself in a situation at your favorite poker room or home game and you're not sure what the proper ruling should have been? Email us at podcast at com. We'll have Hollywood Casino Toledo Director of Poker, Elliot Schechter, tell you how he would have ruled. This week's prize is a setup of J-Design playing cards, the official playing cards of Any Up Poker Cruises, available at classicplayingcards.com. It comes from Brian Ward. He said he was playing in a World Series of Poker $250 deep stack event. The blinds are 1500 3000 
and he shoves for 28,500 uh, 28, with 10.10. It folds to the button who just got moved to my table. He asks the dealer, how much? I say 28,500 all in. He says, call, and puts in 3,000. He then realizes I am all in and tries taking his 3,000 back. The dealer says, you said call, sir. And I say, yes, I told you 28,500. He starts moaning, saying I could not hear what you or the dealer said. The floor comes over and hears what happened and rules. This time you can fold your hand, but the 3,000 must stay in the pot. I am furious with the ruling, telling the floor person, horrible decision. Uh, Elliot says, uh, like the supervisor running the $250 deep stack, I don't feel as though I have all the information. I'm pretty sure we have the basic points needed to make an educated decision, though. You said you shove for 28500 If you did move all your ships forward when announcing your bet, any opponent's declaration of call would be for the total amount of your bet. If, in fact, your shove was just an announced bet and no ships were moved forward, and you also insisted on answering questions that were directly asked to the dealer and not you, one could possibly make the case that the newly arrived player to the table was uninformed of the current bet in a way that wasn't his or the dealer's fault. If this went down ex exactly as you described, then yes, the player should have been made to put in the 28500 If this went down differently in any way, or the dealer was prevented by any player from doing all their job in even the slightest way, then the decision was possibly justifiable. Okay, I can agree with the fact that if, the, if there were circumstances that kept this other player from hearing properly what happened or whatever, and then that's one thing. But the other thing is that he didn't go to the dealer and say, what's the bet? He said call. No matter what you said, your chips, you said all in. And he said call. He should not say call if he can't hear properly. So no matter what he can say when the floor gets over there, he should not say call if the words all in were, were audible to everyone at the table. And he should not say call if he's not clear what the bet is. He said call. He, he That's it. You're all in. I don't see how you give him back his money. Yeah, again, I think obviously, I mean, we always we um, tell these stories based on the information that we have or right. from our frame, and obviously Brian's very upset with this, and um, it sounds like he should be. Um, but yeah, I do get what Elliot says, that uh, a couple things, a couple red flags here, and uh, I noticed this, um, you know, I've obviously played a lot here the last week or so, um, and one of my general advices to people is, advice to people is, um, let the dealer kind of do his or her job. Um, it's nice to help them from time to time, but sometimes your helping hurts. And the big thing that drives me crazy is when people move the button um, because dealers have a, a trained – it's almost like a muscle reflex. You know, They push the pot, they move the button, and then they shuffle. And when you're, quote-unquote, helping them by moving the button – then their muscle relax, they move that button again, and then players have to make, no, no, it's already moved, and they're like, oh, okay, whatever. You're not helping by moving the button. <laughs> so that's one of the things. So here's a situation where um, let the dealer tell the player what the bet is, and then that way the rest of the table can say, oh, yes, the dealer actually said $28,500 and not the player. At that point, then your your argument has a little bit more standing, I think. So yeah. uh, it doesn't seem like it's a big deal. I mean, because you made the bet, and, and it's nice that you're answering. But ultimately, this is a situation where it would be better to back up and just be quiet and let the dealer figure it out. Um, and also, if, you know, what Elliot says, we don't know whether the chips were pushed forward or not. It would be really hard, I think, for the floor to say, hey, you're only in for 3000 when there's a big stack of chips, <laughs> you know, in front of your opponent's cards. Yeah. There. 
Um, but if there's nothing there, there's not even an all-in button, then that's a little bit uh, it's a little bit easier to give them a pass on that one. So, you know, just you know, there seems like there's some mistakes here uh, throughout the table. Um, so what we like to do with call of the floor is always remind me what you can do to avoid the mistakes to your end. And so I'm not saying Brian did any of this, but going forward, for anybody listening, you know, when you say all in, push your chips forward or have that all in button in front of you. Um, and then when somebody asks for chip count, uh, let the dealer do it. Let the dealer count it down. I mean, it's, it's so funny when I'm at the table and um, somebody says uh, there's an all in and someone says, how much is that? And there's four answers. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and some people from their side, they well, oh, it looks about like 47,000 to me. And then it ends up being like 23 or something ridiculous. Yeah. And I'm like, shut up. Yeah. I don't care what you think it looks like. The guy asked how much it is. The only person that should be answering is the dealer who goes over there and counts it. You know, this is not like, you know, guess a number at the fair. You're not going to get a stuffed animal for getting it right. So, <laughs> you know, just be quiet, let the hand go out. And then at the end, you can, not, you know, um, tell the guy next to you, yeah, uh, I. I, I nailed that from across the table. I was forty two that. <laughs> that's what you want to feel better about your life. Great, but you don't do, do it in the middle of the hand. So, what what the dealer do their job? So you know, and the all in button now just is now just showing its importance even more here. You know, it used to be like, oh, what are they? They don't need that. You know, but now look at you know right there. That would have saved everything. You throw a big orange disc at the guy, and you don't need to wonder if he was all in or not. So, uh, those things are proving invaluable. Hey, we yeah, get to complete. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. It doesn't prevent any mistake, uh, every mistake, but it certainly makes it easier. Yeah, in this case, there's an orange disc in front. Tough, tough luck. There's an orange disc right in front of this guy. You said he's, he's in call. So uh, we get to complete O'Malley's move today. Uh, here comes part one. Hello, and welcome to another O'Malley's move. I'm Malcolm O'Malley. We're playing PLO in our regular home game. The blinds are 50 cent, $1. It's a friendly atmosphere, but we take the game seriously. This is actually a mixed game, No Limit Hold'em and Pot Limit Omaha, but we're in the PLO round, and at this eight-handed table, there are probably only three that really understand this game. The blinds post, and we get two folds to us with the King of Spades, Queen of Spades, Queen of Clubs, Ten of Clubs. Good starting hand, we bump it to $3. It's folded to the small blind, who makes it $6 to go. Back to us, and we would like to see what happens after the flop. We call. We started the hand with about two twenty-five. This is the second round of PLO tonight, and we're about halfway through that. We've been playing for roughly 3 hours and 30 minutes. This game usually goes for 6 hours. The small blind is new to PLO and loves having four cards. He overvalues his hands and makes bluffs in bad spots. He started the hand with almost $200. There's $13 in the pot, and the flop is a beauty. The jack of spades, ten of hearts, nine of clubs comes down. The small blind bets $5. We have the nuts with middle pair and a bunch of backdoor draws. We bet pot. The small blind quickly calls. There's about $65 in the pot, and the turn is the five of spades. Our opponent checks. This might be our first mistake here, but we put out a $40 bet. Our opponent calls. There's $145 in the pot, and the river is the eight of spades. Our opponent shoves for roughly $125. So, our nut hand is now the second nuts. Is this an easy call? Easy fold? 
What's the move? All right, I think I'm walking into O'Malley's move trap here. Don't go in there! <laughs> uh, but I'm going to call uh, based on the profile O'Malley has laid out for us about his opponent. Yeah, he's new, he overvalued his hands, bluffs in the wrong spots, according to O'Malley. Uh, those are all reasons I believe our second nut hand is good here. Without that profile, be much, much more careful, and it's very possible that someone had backed into a flush. Yeah, I, uh, last week I wrote ARG. I hate having the second best hand in Omaha, and I, I I always think back to one very specific cash game session at your house, where I was like I just kept getting the second best hand. I didn't learn my lesson until the day was over, and I lost a lot of money doing it. So um, it's very possible he had a suited ace that got there on the redraw, and we are beat. Um, the setup does seem heavy-handed from O'Malley. Like I'm being forced to believe one thing over another. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, <laughs> And I fold a lot easier in Omaha than I do in other games, so I'll let this one go. Uh, Unless we have a short stack because I don't really know what our stack is, I think I am going to fold here. So, Okay, here comes part two. Hello again. Let's narrow this guy's range down. We already know he overvalues hands and bluffs a ton. He raised preflop. This could be aces, but I think the flop hit him somehow. Maybe he has like ace-ace-10-10, but those would be the case tens. So I'm not sure that fits. Could he have flopped a straight to the jack? That's possible. I don't know what flush draw he could have that he would check on the turn. Maybe he's thinking the eight of spades is a scare card. I really can't see an ace of spades hand that beats us here. I'm going with my read. We call. Our opponent confidently tables the ace of spades, ace of diamonds, jack of diamonds, ten of diamonds. We show our flush and rake in the pot. Yep, he lived up to his M.O., overvalued a hand, and then bluffed when the board got scary. Until next time, I'm Malcolm O'Malley saying sometimes you've got to go with your read. I hope to see you on the felt. Well, we can look at this two ways. Uh, that our opponent overvalued his hand, as O'Malley said, or that he made a fairly standard Omaha bluff, knowing because he had the ace of spades, we could not have the nuts. Uh, I'll give him credit for the latter, uh, which would have gotten uh, Chris to fold and would have gotten me to fold without the info O'Malley provided. Um, which just proves that it's an error that all players need to have in their Omaha arsenal. Yeah, that play works against me, and I make it work against others. So um, I I can go either way on it, and I can see it working. And uh, I also think Scott means quiver there, not arsenal. Well, but the quiver is part of the arsenal. So. <laughs> it holds the arsenal. <laughs> I mean, I mean the, the media, the next neighbor says, oh, my gosh, his house was full of quivers. <laughs> like his house was an arsenal of several quivers. With <laughs> the quiver holds the arrow, not the arsenal. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on. It was just a big one, and you want me to be in the middle one. So. <laughs> All right, it's time for the advancedpokertraining.com hand of the week. Send your hands or situations to podcast at antietmagazine.com. If you haven't won something from us in the past year, you'll get a free membership to Advanced Poker Training, the world's number one poker training site. Comes from Stephen uh, Mikalik. Mikalik? Michael? Mikalik? Mikalik? Mikalik. Or if it's in the Bahamas, it'd be McLeek. Uh, <laughs> Beer there's Cleek. Mikalik? <laughs> Mikalik. All right. Uh, first time and last time, writer. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 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 all right. Um, he says, like, here you guys begging for hand of the week's submissions. I don't think we beg. Well, yeah, hang on there. Wait, hang on a minute here. Please, please. Be- begging is more like, please, sir, may I have another? We're not saying that. We're just saying we don't have that many. 
Begging anybody. Beg. I think of the uh, the the begging strips commercial for the dog. But <laughs> he following his nose around the living room. Beg it, beg it, beg it, beg it, beg it, beg it. Beg it. Um, all right. He says, uh, I thought I'd throw one out here that might spark an interesting conversation about the play of regulars in small buy-in tournaments while registration is still open. Um, he says, I'm seated at the $50 Tuesday night No Limit Hold'em tournament at the Rivers Casino in Pittsburgh. And after the $5 dealer add-on, you start with 10,000 chips, levels at 20 minutes each, with registration open until the end of level three. I arrived at my seat uh, before the first card was dealt and had no intention of re-entering if eliminated while registration is still open. The villain uh, uh, had arrived 10 minutes prior to being dealt the hand in question. Upon arrival, he said hello to the dealer by name, and the dealer said hello back while the cards <laughs> were shuffled between hands, giving me the impression that uh, the villain is a uh, regular or just polite. One of the two. All right. Either, right. All right. Uh, <clears throat> all right. Um, it is the first hand of level two, 50 and 100 blinds, and we are eight-handed. I sit with 9,600-ish after calling two, prop, two pre-flop raises and folding the C-bets post-flop. Both hands uh, occurred prior to the villain arriving at the table. This is the villain's fourth hand of the tournament, and I saw him two hands ago open pre-flop and take it down as the blinds folded. He has roughly 10,100 chips. I'm under the gun plus one, under the gun uh calls and i look down at ace of hearts king of hearts all right so we're at 5100 so uh i mean throwing a tournament i really don't know what their standard raises are but generally 3x plus whatever people limped in so 400 right yeah i still like the two 2.5x so i'd go 350 but okay somewhere in that range 350 to 400 yeah you gotta account for the uh sounds good uh all right he says after a beat i throw a I raised to 400. It folds to the villain who falls quickly. Uh, the remaining players, including Limper, fold. Uh, with 950 in the pot, the f- what? Hold oh, back up. So, <laughs> who limps at 5100 under the gun and then folds to a standard raise? Hmm. Very interesting. I mean, really, the only time you're really limping under the gun is with, like, pocket fours or something like that where you don't want to really commit to the raise but or maybe a suited baby ace a six or something you might want to just try to see a flop for then, a flush. but even then 300 in when you've got yeah. is about ten thousand. that's crazy but anyhow yeah that's crazy <laughs> <Not wrong. laughs> um all right so with 95 all right i'm sorry 950 in the pot the flop comes king of diamonds eight of spades deuce of clubs and we are first act Okay, well, uh, it's a nice uh, board for us. Obviously, top, top with no draws to anything. It's almost as good as the queen seven deuce board. So, I mean, that's that's sweet for us. Um, I'd probably bet around, I don't know, half the pot maybe. Maybe like 450, 400, 450, 475, something like that. Yeah, I've started betting a little bit more than half the pot now. I think that works a little bit more for me now, so I'd probably go 600 here. But, you know, anywhere in that 500 to 600 range, 500 700 range maybe. That's a lot, uh, 700. Yeah, but, you know, I would be, again, I, I'd be happy to take this down now. we got a good hand, but it's very still very vulnerable. I mean, again, our, our drawing hand, ace-king, actually hit. So um, I'd be happy to cash in now, but... Um, you're right. It's not a scary board. I mean, there's not a lot coming. That I mean, there's certainly no straights, no flushes that are going to come to Warriors on the turn. So, I mean, what um, card on the turn could hurt you? Unless he's already hit a set. What card on the turn could hurt you in any way? Well, yeah. There's no card that's going to slow us down because yeah. we don't. 
we can't put anybody on that card hurting us because it's not a flush or a straight. But um, I don't know. It's just kind of early in the tournament. I think uh, people are more likely to call a little bit bigger bets now because they're not as big compared to the chip stack. So I almost see it more as a value to, to get another 100, 200 out of this guy. But anyhow, all right, so we can agree somewhere between 400 and 600, right? Yeah, that, that sounds good. All right. Uh, here it says, not wanting to scare off the villain with my top pair, top kicker. I check with the intent of calling any raise. Uh, the villain quickly throws out a bet of 650. Wow. Okay, well, Scott wants to take this hand down now, definitely, so I'm just going to raise him to, like, two grand or something. You know, I do... I mean, I did check raise. Now I totally told the guy I've got the hand one, and if he doesn't believe me, he by all means shove on me. But um, I don't. I don't think this guy has a set now. I thought well, I was talking about it before, just saying what card could hurt us. But if he has a set, first of all, we took control of this hand preflop, and now we're checking. That's completely fishy. Uh, people don't fall for that usually. Um, so in this case, be grateful you got that six fifty, and now raise him. I wouldn't call and check again because now. You're giving him a chance to hit a card for his price rather than yours. But at this point, I'd raise now. I, I mean, yeah. you consider calling, but really, I'm happy with the size of this pot now. Raise it and then see if this guy really has a set. If he doesn't have a set, he's folding. Um, and if he does have a set, then he's going to let you know, and you're probably going to fold your top here, top kicker. So um, I'm going to raise here. Yeah, I mean, one of the other reasons that makes raising the, the um, good spot here is what we already discussed. There's not a turn card that's going to freak us out, right? Yeah. I mean, it, it, there is a possibility a turn card is bad for us, but we just don't know. So um, at this point, I mean, it's kind of the problem with the check raise is once you do that, now you're obligated almost to continue that aggression on the next street. And sometimes if that card comes as a scare card, then you're like, ah, what do I do now? Um, but there, there, that card's not going to come. There, there's no card that we're, we're going to want to slow down to, uh, slow down for. So that makes it all the more reason to. Um, I like your 2000. I like it a lot. And then. Um, you know, then we're going to bet again on the turn, and we're going to get pretty close to um, being pot committed here if our our, pers- our opponent keeps calling. But right now, yeah, I'll take down that would be fifteen, sixteen hundred, right there. That's not bad. That's yeah, ten percent of our stack. So with a drawing hand. Yes, a drawing hand that hit. <laughs> that hit. Uh, all right, our hero says after a beat, I call. All right, we'll play the passive game here. Yeah, see how it works out. Uh, pot is now twenty-two fifty, and the turn is the six of clubs. So our board now is king of diamonds, eight of spades, deuce of clubs, six of clubs, and once again we are first act. Well, it's weird because now I got to play it the way he played it. So I'm not sure if I should check it here now, you know, because we did the check call and we see this guy's really willing to bet. But this is why I want to take control of the hand because now again he's going to make me guess as to what he's you know, what he has when he does his action here. And instead, I'd want to make him be the one guessing. Um, like I said, if, if we had bet and then he had called and we were at this position now, I'd be betting out, you know, a good, you know, I don't know, 1300 or something. I don't know. But it, it, with it, the way he played it, maybe we check call again, just get this guy, walk the dog, let him keep betting. You know, I mean, unless he, like I said, I rule out sets now. I really do. I think a set would have checked behind and then let him bet out on the turn, our, our hero here, and then, you know, even call him again. You know what I mean? So I think if I had a set, I don't think I would have bet out there since I didn't control the hand, and I wouldn't want to scare the guy off. Clearly, if, if you check, you either hit it really hard when you raise preflop, or you're afraid of the king because you had pocket queens. 
So this person could totally, you know, expose you for that. Um, so I don't think a set is is here. I think that we're we're ahead. Um, so maybe I do check one time. So let's let's check again, just because we checked before. Kind of look like we were afraid. But if he checks behind, then we've kind of wasted a street too. So it's it's tough. Um, normally I would bet out because I would have taken control of his hand. So in this case, you played it passively. I guess we'll continue that storyline. Right. The the reason that uh, that we're discounting the set is because what we talked about why why we weren't worried with our hand, right? Because there wasn't a card that was going to come that was going to affect us, right? right? So yeah, I'm with you on eliminating that set there. So the worst thing we're up against is some random two pair, and you know, king eight, eight deuce, yeah, king deuce. No, this makes sense. So. Um, but here's the problem with what how we play this hand now is that you're right. It's now it's random for us just to wake up after calling a raise and betting when the six of clubs comes out, which is a meaningless card, right? Yeah. Um, but if we check and now we give our opponent an option to check behind, and maybe he's got some kind of random clubs in his hand, and now we give him a free card to to really mess us up. So. Um, not not a fan of how we played this. So I, I I guess in balance I would just kind of wake up here and bet, you know, eleven hundred or something, and just make it confusing and maybe I still win. I would rather do that than the the check and let him take a free card. Um, yeah, you know, clubs too. I wasn't thinking about the clubs. It's tough to let him get that free card. I don't know what two cards he has in his hand that amount to clubs and a bet and a call of a raise here, but. You're right. That is something you might want to prepare for. I don't think a guy's going to have seven nine for a straight draw or you know, anything I mean, like that. King was in his hand and something else. I don't know, but um, yeah, yeah, king it, queen it, of clubs maybe. I just don't think anything comes good from not getting any money in on this street. And yeah. if we check, we have, we run the risk of no money getting in the pot. Yeah, so. yeah. King queen of clubs is a good hand too. You're right. That could be something that king jack clubs whatever so you're right so yeah i think maybe i don't know if i was in this situation i could do, go either way i like telling the same story throughout the hand so he can't figure something out but at the same time betting out protects his hand here so yeah uh maybe what'd you say 1100 yeah it's half the pot yeah so. half the pot's fine i guess <clears throat> um all right our hero says i want to make a bet that both builds a pot and forces a flush draw and a worse king to pay to see the river i bet 1500 all right it's a little bit more than pot but that's fine for me i think yeah. Uh, villain wastes little time digging out two chips near the bottom of the stack and throws out a call. There's hmm. fifty-two fifty in the pot now, and the river is the six of spades. So our final board is king of diamonds, eight of spades, deuce clubs, six clubs, six of spades, and once again we are first act. Well, I mean, nothing to protect against now. It's all over as far as no other hands are getting there. The guy has a six in his hand. That's crazy. Um. Again, I don't put him on a boat now, so uh, we got the same hand, maybe. Yeah, you know, uh, I'm just looking. To, I'll, I'm happy with the size of this pot, pot control. I'll check call anything reasonable, and if he goes all in, then I don't believe him either. So um, I'd probably make that call too. So it just depends on what he. I'm probably probably check calling anything, but I'm happy with the pot size now. So if you check check, then you know I don't know if you're going to get value if your hand. This guy was bluffing, and you bet he's not going to bet. You're not going to call. So. The only way you get money out of him probably is if he has king queen or the same hand. So, and I I don't know. I guess if I'm going to call a shove, I probably would make a bet here then. So maybe I make a bet like I don't know. What's in there? Yeah, five think, grand, so two I grand maybe. I mean, I, part of me was thinking that the best way to get some value out of his hand is to check and let them bluff at it. But since we 
woke up. It, we played this so weird, right? So the fact that we didn't uh, bet on the flop and then we bet fifteen hundred on the turn. I mean, we can't slow down now. Yeah. I don't think. So if we check now, I mean, I don't think anybody's going to be make a mistake to to bet into us. So we're not getting evaluated at that point now, and we can't really put our opponent on any hand that really has his beat right now. So. Um, I mean, it's possible, but I, I'd be surprised at what it's going to be. So um, I, I think at this point, you know, what's the pot at 52.50, you know, maybe 2,000, 2,500. Yeah, that's what I was thinking grand. Yeah, I think yeah. that's a pretty decent bet there. I mean, again, I don't mind the check call either. He might, if he's bluffing, or, you know, might get a little bit out of him. He might, if he's not bluffing, then he's... You know, then he's gonna call your bet. But if he is bluffing, he's not gonna call your bet. Whereas if you check and he can't win without betting, he might guarantee money out. You know what I mean? So it, it's a tough decision. You really have to. It's really more of a feel. It's hard to just do it in black and white like this on, on paper. Whereas if you're at the table, you might get a feel that this guy is gonna bet again, and you know he's bluffing or whatever. So, um, but yeah, I like a two thousand dollar bet too. Two thousand unit bet. All right. Here it says, I have a feeling that unless he set mine pre-flop with 8-8, eight, eight, I have the best hand. I want to extract some more chips out of him, but I don't think he would call any reasonable bet I would like. I would make, so I check with the intention of calling any bet. Without hesitation, our villain announces all in. Yeah, th- there's no reason to go all in there unless you're bluffing, right? Why, why would you go all There's no reason to go all in when you played it so i'm gonna raise then i'm gonna check then i'm gonna bet then i'm gonna check you know it, it clearly you've got something that you're interested in calling this this guy had a boat he'd want to value bet he wouldn't want to scare you if he had uh somehow played aces weird which i don't know yeah cause i guess he would have re-raised with aces preflop so i mean yeah so i mean i don't, I don't really rule, i rule kind of rule aces out here too um so I don't know. I I think I'm calling the all in. I said it earlier that I think I would call an all in if I had checked him on the turn. So on the river, or even, maybe I said it on the river. So I don't know. I think I'm calling. I don't see any reason to go all in here, especially if he has pretty much the same on as I do, unless you're trying to scare me off. The the betting has been, you know, gradual in, increases here. I don't see any reason why to bet fifty two fifty. So I, uh, you know, more. I just think I'm gonna. I'm just gonna call his all in. I think we're ahead. Yeah, nothing about this hand has made sense to me all the way through, but uh, you're right. If you have a monster hand here, the all-in is probably not going to get a call, so that doesn't make much sense. It seems like a desperation. The only way I can win this is to um, put you to a test, so I, I'm never a fan of calling off uh, top pair, top kicker, but I, I just can't put a hand, put him on a hand that's that's got his beat here, so... Yeah. And it's early, uh, and we can still re, uh, re-enter. I know that was not our plan, so that's fine. But, you know, if we're wrong, we have that option. So, yeah. All right, uh, our hero goes into the tank. He says, I asked myself, what if he did set mine with 8-8? Eight, eight? Would he have slow played ace-ace until now? Would he really have called a preflop raise with a 6? Ultimately, the real question was, could I risk my tournament life with top pair, top kicker on a rainbow straight list board? My answer after 20 seconds of thought was yes. As I'm flipping my cards over, uh, the villain flicks his cards toward the dealer and into the muck, muttering that he had ace-queen. The villain uh, shoved his remaining stack pre-flop, busted and ran off the buy-in, and bust out again. I used my double stack uh, to survive a 50-minute stint, being card dead to eventually finish fourth out of 51 for $132. Congrats. Wow, ace-queen. Why does he keep that fight up? Just give up, especially after the flop. 
You know, okay, so you missed that flop completely. You tried to take the hand down. You bet. We call. Six comes out. We bet fifteen hundred. What are you doing there? What What are we doing? What are you doing calling there with ace queen? You've missed everything. We've called your bet. Now bet into you. You have no chance to win this hand now unless you bluff. Oh, oh that's that was horribly played by ace queen there. Oh ace yeah, queen. I mean here's the thing: is that once that we bet out on the turn, which again was kind of weird. What are we hoping to hit at that point? Yeah, you know, a queen is not going to help us win if if our opponent has a king, and if the ace comes, it's very likely that we have the same hand that we, that we have here, ace king. So you're, you're drawing dead at that point. There, there's really, I don't think, any way that you reasonably can think that you're going to win this hand. When Especially, you know, you have ten grand. At that point, he's already put in six fifty plus the race, so a thousand. So he's down to like nine grand. You know what I mean? And then he bets, he calls a 1500, so now he's down to 7500. I mean, that, 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 he bet, he called 1500 with a $9,000, 9000 chip stack with nothing, hoping to steal it on the end. And it just, it, his story didn't add up. Nope. Oh, well, wow, that's played horribly. All right. Well, you know, I got to tell you, Steve, this, I hope this isn't your last time you emailed us because we murdered your last name, but, uh, but uh, it was a good good learning experience, and you made the right call. It is tough to do with top pair, top kicker. You know, you try. A lot of people will just say they don't want to ever put their tournament life on the line with us and two pair. So, uh, but you made the right choice. You, you read the story right. I'm Chris Casenza, and I'm Scott Long. We'll see you at the tables. Antiup is a production of AntiupMagazine.com. Contact the show at podcast at antiupmagazine.com or call our hotline at 206-338-6344. If you'd like to advertise, send an email to advertising at antiupmagazine.com or call 727-331-4335. Some music used in this episode comes courtesy of the Podsafe Music Network. <laughs>